Sonny boy, why don't you go put on my socks? Why don't you put on Papa's socks? I was going to text you and ask you to... Um... Oh, we're starting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can hear everything? Is this y'all? <laughs> this is us. This is yeah, us. we're starting. It's the beginning. We like it to kind of be... I love your face. I wish people could see your face. It's so good. Um, so, welcome to the Why Aren't You Famous podcast. My name is Ellen Cherry. I'm here with my co-host... Andrew Grimm. And our very, very, very extremely special guest today is my longtime friend, Josh Villepando. Hiya. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. It is is technically still morning. It is, is. right? Yeah. All right, so we're here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Correct. um, In Josh's home, which he's graciously opened to us. He has the busy owner of a local wine shop, the Assorted Table Wine Shop, which is located in the 7th Street Market in downtown Charlotte, North Carolina. And we're here with Josh... And his dog, Piper, who is one of the best dogs on the planet. One of. She's like the best. Pretty yeah, much. I shouldn't have said one. The there are no other dogs, apparently. She, she, she's amazing. I love Piper. I will post a picture of Piper because, like, she's my little heart carried around in a tiny little weird body. <laughs> a lovely weird body. Hmm. So anyway, we're here because... Um, Josh is actually our first non-professional songwriter, songwriter friend, but there's a backstory here that I want to talk about. Josh and I met in Dallas, Texas, where we both went to school. He went to the boys' school, Jesuit, and I went to the girls' school, Ursuline Academy of Dallas, and we met over music. We met because of musical theater and the plays and these um, collaborations between our two schools and then we became friends, and Josh is actually one of the reasons why I became a full-time musician, because he had a four-track Tascam recorder, and we would go to his house with our friends Lawrence and Tim and record hilarious, wonderful, beautiful songs. Not hilarious, but meaningful to teenagers, songs to tape, and then you would mix them all down, and it was super fun, and I don't know, we have a long history together, and... Um, Joni Mitchell says um, it is very hard to make and keep a friend. And frankly, you've made it pretty easy to be friends with you for almost three decades. And we've watched each other grow from, you know, nebulous teenagers into capable adults. Capable. Capable Hmm. adults. (laughs) Crappable. Accountable. So welcome. And the sound you hear in the background is coffee brewing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my stomach. Yes. So before we met in Dallas, um, and actually you were living in Carrollton and I was living in Plano, so we were actually even closer together because, you know, we went to school in Dallas, but we actually, um, our friendship commute was much shorter. But before you moved there, you lived several places, including Virginia. And when we were planning to um, see you today and have you record on the podcast, one of the things you wanted to talk about was the music scene that was happening in Virginia when you were growing up there. So talk a little bit about that. If you wouldn't mind. Well, I was born and raised in Virginia. Yeah. In Richmond and uh, a suburb outside of Richmond called Midlothian. And I don't know what the music scene was because I was teeny tiny. Yeah. We um, we left Richmond when I was well on August twenty sixth, nineteen eighty seven. So I don't I don't know what the music scene was. Um, I I vaguely knew that. There weren't any popular recording artists out of Richmond. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't think. Of, oh, Pat Benatar. She was one. <laughs> Pat Benatar was one. She's from Richmond. She's Richmond? from Richmond. Oh, cool. I love her. And then, like, who else? Edgar Allan Poe, not a famous recording musician. No, but famous poet, prose writer. <laughs> yeah. 
He got around. Famous melancholy dude. But yeah, Richmond basically wasn't, I don't, it wasn't a hub for a music scene, yeah. to my knowledge, when I was a child. Yeah. Right. Well, Kemper Van Beethoven was that Richmond? Richmond. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but the thing I'm talking about is the 90s when we were in high school. And then, because when we were talking and planning on this, you were talking about Missy Elliott and... Yes. Okay, so... Um, Cause, I yeah. wanted to be a I wanted to be a professional musician. I wanted to be an entertainer and you know singer, pop, you know pop ballad writer. And one of the reasons you told me was that you weren't seeing people that looked like you. Correct. On the television. Right. So for listeners to describe Josh Villalpando, tell us a little bit about your ethnic heritage so that they can understand the context of that. So I am a first generation um, American born Filipino American. Yes. Um, my parents uh, fled the Philippines um, when uh, Ferdinand Marcos declared martial law mm-hmm. in 1972. And so my sister and I were both born in Richmond. And as um, Asian Americans or Pacific Islander Americans, um, in a very, um, you know, white middle to upper middle class suburban uh, neighborhood like Richmond and Midlothian, you know, you were just, you were a minority. It wasn't, I don't, I don't think it was that big of a deal, but I definitely noticed being different. Yeah. And, you know, it was basically us. I don't even know if there was another Asian in my school growing up. And then there was like one black person. Um, and, um, we'd have break dance showdowns against each other. <laughs> Eric, Eric Dion Collins, if you're out there. I remember that showdown we had in sixth grade. Who won? Who won? Oh, he smoked me. <laughs> totally smoked me. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, there wasn't any... I wanted to be a musician, but then I, I kind of looked at, as, as a pragmatist, even at a young age, I just noticed, like, the music scene was very black. The music scene that I wanted to get into was also very white, and there was very few non-black or white acts. Maybe occasionally there was a trend you know, of a, like a Richie Valens type of person or a Los Lobos Mm -hmm. or a, Mm -hmm. you know, like a Miami Sound Machine kind of thing. But it was very fleeting. I mean, it was just like, you'd you'd rarely see that in the pop or radio music scene. Plus, how are you accessing this music? Like, think about the 90s. This is the thing that I think, um, even having grown up in it, that I don't even realize like how much has changed because of the way that I consume music and pop culture now. That back then, 25 years ago, the way that we were getting it was from our radio station. Mm-hmm. you know. And then if you had cable television, you were watching MTV and when they played music videos and stuff like that. Piper, come here. Yeah, it was, it was Q94 in Richmond. So yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a pop radio station. So basically, I, I kind of abandoned um, writing music, even though I felt like... I had stuff to say, and I think I could, you know, put together good melodies. I grew up playing piano, you know, classical piano, and I started experimenting on on my own. Yeah. And, um, but at the end of the day, I was just like, you know, not only are there no Asian American acts, but then there is, I'm in a city where this is not happening. I don't live in Chicago. I don't live in L.A. I don't live in New York City. I don't live in those types. Or and then as we grew up, you know, Atlanta started becoming, you know, more of a hub. So the I guess the irony, just to fast forward, the irony is 
when when you and I started growing up um, together in high school, um, just an hour and change away from me in the Tidewater area of Virginia was this international explosion of pop music, yeah. hip hop, R&B, um, and, uh, you know, like Virginia Beach, in the Virginia Beach area. And uh, <laughs> Missy Elliott, Timbaland, Magoo, um, N.E.R.D., the Neptunes, you know, uh, um, Pharrell Williams. Yeah. Well, his group, Pharrell's group, um, was called uh, the Neptunes. And it was, it was a three-person three group. And one, and they are our age. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and Chad Hugo's Filipino. Jerk. I know. It's just like if you're I had, like, if like, I, I had, could have been in that slot. <laughs> well, honestly, there's like three degrees of separation from me and that gang. Yeah. Just growing up there and you know hanging out with we I had, we had a lot of family friends in the Tidewater area. And they knew those guys, yeah. and they were not that big of a deal. I mean, they were a big deal. You well, know, they the were club building scene. the following right then at that point, and they weren't necessarily like super right. huge famous. So you're catching artists that are on the way to incredible stardom and thinking like, yeah. if And that's just like something that Andrew and I have talked about a lot, that like the the concept of, of just sheer luck. Like, yeah. Your talent, yeah, your timing, and where you are geographically, both both in like the well, the whole universe is yeah, timing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like well, <laughs> I don't think anybody big came out of Bel Air, so I'm not really worried about it yet. <laughs> I didn't miss anything there that that scene. So, but, go ahead. No, I mean when we were when you and I were talking a couple months ago about having you on this, this is the thing that we were talking about, and and the difference being that like, well, what do you do with that energy then when you realize at, at some point that the potential for you to be participating in that scene specifically is like, well, what do you do with that creative outlet? And you found a community of kids in high school that were all interested in like playing music and hanging out and having fun and experimenting, which is the wonderful thing about basically the garage band idea, right? Mm -hmm. Not the garage band, the application on your iPhone, but the actual garage band that you would we would just get together in your house and play on the piano and experiment with melodies and be listening to music and trying to imitate it. And Which, of course, is something now that's, that's changed a lot, too, in our culture. The, the, the garage band idea is now rock school, you know, or right. school of rock type of stuff. You know? and, and also that we were basically doing it in the dark. Like, yeah. we did not... The, the things that we were recording were for each other and for our close friends, and it was not like you would be putting it up on YouTube or social media... Because we were the social media that we had was like, here's a cassette tape that we made, or I had a 17th birthday party, me and Christina Farenbach, and your band, live band, live band, live band, or live band <laughs> cubed, played at the party, and it was super fun oh. and so exciting. Like I had a live band at my party, and it was yeah. a live band of my friends, and you were good. Well, thanks, thanks. Um, I don't think we were, first of all, I wasn't encouraged by my parents to write original stuff. Yeah. I was encouraged to play, but I was encouraged to play classical piano. Mm. Um, you know, encouraged to sing, sure, but it, nothing about like writing music. Mm-hmm. And I think as, again, as like immigrant parents, Asian parents, I mean, it was kind of, culturally, it's kind of discouraged. You know, you want to, you want your progeny to go into more 
you know, become a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. Something that has a stable um, infrastructure in which you can succeed financially. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, Mm -hmm. Um, that your parents are not alone in that thinking that having your child be Uh, part of the creative class. This might mean that my my parents are Filipino (laughs) because that's what they wanted for me. (laughs) To go into the family business of teaching, uh, teaching, the secure family business of teaching. Mm. So how did you combat that then? Like when you realized that your parents weren't necessarily like it's a hobby, but. Well, I, uh, after leaving Virginia, after playing, you know, classical piano, formal lessons from age seven to like 13, I sort of abandoned the piano, but then I continued, I definitely had a lot of musical energy in me. Mm -hmm. Um, and in high school in Colorado, in Littleton, Colorado, I joined the concert choir we had an incredible concert choir, um, you know, uh, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. It's co-ed, um, about 65 kids, wow. and we crushed it. We crushed it. I mean, we crushed it on, on in, a, in a regional, on the regional scene. Mm. And, um, and then I got accepted to show choir, which was a smaller, um, a smaller group of, I think, like 12. But then we moved to Dallas. But when I was in concert choir, I fell in love with acapella. Yeah. More than I had, you know, like I loved, you know, I loved acapella and um, Take Six and a lot of those. But, I mean, being in a, an actual concert choir and, um, oh my gosh, there's so many. Did you, so did you guys know that if you have somebody that's slightly tone deaf, if you sandwich that person between two people that are on key, they will magically... Kind of stay on key. Oh, cool. No, yeah. I didn't know that. It's really cool. That's good. Because it's just like, why is whatever. This person can't even hear the note, but then. Yeah, why is this Joe Schmo in between us? Man, now, now I'm thinking like, like well, live, oh, that's... when I'm running sound for live performances, I'm be like, no, why don't you guys just switch? Yeah. Just, just you move over there. And see All if right. this person sings better that's because it. of proximity. That's interesting. And also, the way that our concert choir um, physically set up the group, he had the basses and baritones over the altos because we had the tonic. We had like the main, we had the, you know, basses are notorious for having the easiest parts of SATB. Um, And altos have the toughest parts. Well, the altos can always... Because there's like that nebulous middle range. Yeah, God, that's so hard. I mean, like, we listen to altos alone, it's just like, that's in this song? Yeah. So crazy. It's like filling. It's the filling. But it's a beautiful filling. And it's necessary. Oh my gosh, it's necessary. But um, he had the basses over the altos, so they had a point of reference. Yeah. And I thought it was so clever. And I don't see a lot of other concert choirs that are structured that way. And the whole lineup thing, that's baloney. What is that? When mean? people are like lined up on the stage, it's just like you can't, no one can reference anyone. Yeah. And it's not You're even really good like... sound. Right. You know? Well, so transfer that when you got into Dallas, because I remember you were actually in the jazz choir, which was a combination of male and female singers from both of our high schools. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was at the jazz choir at Ursuline. Were you in it? No. Oh, you weren't in it. I and auditioned and did not get accepted. Well, it was pretty oh. easy for the, there weren't a lot of Jesuit guys that are applying. <laughs> but um, yeah, oh. we had we had a lot of fun um, with Miss Chambers. Miss Chambers, Jane Chambers, and, the orchestra um, teacher. And also I did a lot of musicals Mm -hmm. and then that went on to hanging out with the marching band. I I got nominated to be the voice of the band. Yes. So I was just the announcer. I was just the announcer. Well, okay. 
But yeah, but VOB sounds much more prestigious. Yes. And I really actually feel like this is where, in my memories of our friendship, this is where the pers- the persona of Josh Villapando started to emerge. Because you were the voice of the band, but it's like listening to um, the the guy in the grocery store who's announcing the specials, but a, because I know that you also did that. I also did that at Kroger and Albertsons. <laughs> but you would make these creative interpretations of what's happening because you would be introducing the band, but it was like, first of all, you have an incredible speaking voice and also a very creative mind and you're quick witted. And so you would be making people who are actually paying attention during the halftime show that it was fun and interesting because typically what happens in Texas at football games, well, I shouldn't say typical because I really only was in the band for two years. And only went to those football games. Like, that was the only time I ever attended football games. And I wasn't paying attention to football. But people who are interested in the football game during the halftime are going to get concessions. And then that's when the... Yeah, and then that's when the band is performing. But you actually attracted, I think, more people to, like, paying attention to what we were doing on the field to entertain. And you were entertaining. And it was just really funny to be, like, hearing your voice. And then I remember when, as we became closer friends being in a Kroger when you were working and announcing. <laughs> I think I remember you saying something about like Kroger service people are like, it's built Ford tough or something like that. That's what I remember. You're like, you're making these like ridiculous, hilarious associations. And it was just like, it's very funny for the person that's paying attention and special because you have like, a, I don't know, it made the day a little bit lighter and your clever personality started to come out. And a close friend of ours said something to me about you 10 years ago that I have carried with me for the last decade as something that is really um, one of the most endearing parts of your personality is that your love of comic book um, characters has translated into adulthood and not in an infantile or teenage boy kind of way. You have brought it into, and not in an obsessive or, it's just part of your life and you kept that whimsical I don't know, boyhood interest in comic books and comic book characters into adulthood, into a way that it's not like you're trying to recapture something from youth. It's just a very sweet part of your nature. And I remember thinking like, yeah, and like looking around your house in a different way and looking around your shop because at the shop, you also also sell um, Star Wars figurines and Action figures. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry. Action figures. (laughs) Figurines. But comic books are a part of how you sell wine, too. You've done these events with comic book um, uh, artists. Spider-Man Chardonnay. And and paired them with wine in a way that appreciates, like, the best of both of those worlds. Hulk absence. (laughs) Keep going. I'm just thinking. A creative way. And I just appreciate it so much because it's like there's... um, I mean, I feel like we live in a post-irony age, right? Can any, yes. Can anything be I was, ironic I was anymore? sipping at that moment. You didn't want to spit take on the yeah. mic? No, yeah, it is post-irony. But what Josh does is bring in the sense of whimsy to the situation and has always helped me to just lighten up, which I appreciate a lot. So. Well, and I think the the argument about comic book heroes and, and, and those, those stories are, are, I mean, at one point, simple archetypal journeys of the hero but at the same time those are the stories that we've carried from our youth until our adulthood and there's nothing embarrassing about those things and there's mm-hmm. and there shouldn't be they uh and 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 the way that comic book heroes have evolved over the years they're human beings with flaws you know or or for you academics 
harm Matthias. And like, but that's the whole point is that we are looking at a mirror when we look at comic books. They they are mirroring our own human faults and uh, our, our the obstacles that we face, you know, emotionally, physically, um, and then how we look at each other, how we view each other, and that's the the, the brilliance I think of of uh, the X Men series was the fact that it was a reaction to <clears throat> racism or bigotry or you know, inadequacy in how we judge other people based on their physical um, composition rather than the person within. Because it's all about, like, it's a way of who like those ex- people are. exploring empathy. W- how they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exploring empathy and compassion yeah. for people in a way that's, like, you know, the spoonful of sugar idea. Sure. You're delivering a, a serious topic in a way that is, like, understandable and you, subtly digestible, you know, like or, you don't even realize what you're consuming until later. You're like, wait a second. Right. That's a pretty complex argument they were having while they were like kapowing, <laughs> kapowing. <laughs> but your father, the reason that you feel this way is because your father Ka-chunk. never paid attention to you. That's right. <laughs> Not mowing your lawn. <laughs> Shut up, dad. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about, um, more about my relationship to Josh, um, over the decades, but we, it's, we need to get to the songs. We need to start talking about the songs. Yeah. And so, Josh, now's the time where you talk a little bit about why, what top, what the topic is of the songs and, you know, how you wanted to come up with that idea or why you wanted to write in that, um, with that topic. You know, like, what was the inspiration behind that? I mean, other than the fact that we're here <laughs> and you could, you could pick up the thread of our conversation anyhow, but, like, what were you thinking? Like, what, what's the topic? Well, the topic is... Really, my relationship with Ellen Cherry, mm-hmm. who was not Ellen Cherry back when we met. And um, I think um, it is a combination of this kind of philosophy of numbers. Like, if I was born in, oh, I was born in 1974, and you were born in 1975. Nuh-uh. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're that. We're practically the same age. Yeah, I know. And your birthday is June 2nd. And your birthday is in July. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, this has been a long, almost 30 years in the making of like me torturing Josh with like, he doesn't remember you what love my birthday it. is. You totally love it. You don't remember what my birthday is? And I'm like, come on, man. We've known each other for 27 years. <laughs> yeah, it's in July. It's, in, you know, it's the same as David Hasselhoff's. Yes. And we sell, I, I, sent him a, I sent him a card. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about numbers. Okay, so... You were born in 74. I was born in 75. You will... Okay, so when I was one, you didn't exist. That's true. And then you came into existence, and I was 100 times older than you. Mm-hmm. And then as time continues, you get closer and closer and closer in age to me. Mm-hmm. You never get older than me, but it's it's so crazy that you get closer in age the longer you're on the planet. Yeah. Well, and also the concept of like why for children, why an hour seems like such a huge, long expanse of time for them to have to wait for something. But if you're 60, an hour is such a smaller chunk of your life. You're like an hour is like that. Sure. So when we discuss the topic like we do on all of these podcasts, we leave the topic sort of open-ended. So I did not write about numbers and time. I wrote about long-term friendship and like that's, that's, we'll get to my song in after years. But the concept of it to me when we were talking about it was 
our specific friendship, not necessarily like the um, concept of just knowing or like the way that you've just described time. And I'm like, oh, no, have I written the wrong song? But it's no, fine. no, the, the whole time <laughs> thing is that I think it's really strange. It's fascinating that you and I have known each other longer than we haven't known yeah, each other. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's the whole time. You know, at one point, we just met. Mm-hmm. You know, 20, how many years? 27 years ago. 27 years ago, we just met. yeah. Which is the same thing as the luck of Missy Elliott and, yeah. you know, the whole music scene. It's like, The huh, circumstance of you life. You live it the same way. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's the jackpot. of not, not of, like, recording, you know, superstardom, but of friendship. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the people that you're with. I've, I've hit the jackpot for sure. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. I cannot disagree. Let's get to Josh's song. And like all of the songs we present on the Why Aren't You Famous podcast season two, they are demo versions. And this is super exciting because Josh is our first um, non-professional working songwriter songwriter. And it's, I think it's going to be a really fun experiment. So we're going to pause, reset the mics, and get Josh singing and playing some piano for us. Okay, here we go. So, and um, so, yeah, I'm always referencing different memories. You know, there's, there's, I, I'm, I'm all about, you know, nostalgia, and I think if I, if left to my own devices, I'd probably be kind of a hoarder. But thank God we live in a small condo, so <laughs> in this, in this little condo, so I'm, I'm definitely, um, I, I have to only keep my, my, my mementos have to be much fewer than I'd like. <laughs> but the good news is music music doesn't take up any space. And so this was a melody that I, I wrote a long time ago. And I think the reason why I wanted to use this melody or this, this chord progression is because of all the songs, like my songs are very simple and they're very ballady and they're kind of sappy. Um, and which is different from like the hip hop stuff that I would love to have done had I had the courage to, to chase down that, um, that avenue for, you know, as a career path. But yeah, my like kind of Michael Jackson, hip hop, you know, pop, very like rhythm syncopated stuff. I don't, I don't write a lot like that. I don't know why I don't like write a lot like that. Um, but, um, this was a, this was a, a, a piano, um, snippet that, you liked a lot a long time ago and it was like the biggest compliment to me that you actually liked something that I wrote. <laughs> I mean on for for its for its like I guess piano merits. So Alright, play it. Do you remember this? I just took the, you know, the chords of it and because I can't play and sing that because it's too hard for me. So these are the same chords. (laughs) 
and that part would go, steaks, eggs, eggs. Over harmonizing. I don't know, over harmonizing, I don't know, melodies or something like that. And basically the rest of that phrase would be moving from covering radio songs to writing our own stuff. And then the next chunk would be something like this. I think that's a kind of fun bridge. I don't. I haven't done anything like that before. And then the last chunk of it would go, uh. well then at this point, it doesn't make, with that bridge that I like so much, it doesn't make, so I don't know. Anyway, um, and then the refrain is, uh, I don't know how to get that line in there. We've known each other longer than we, so we've known each other longer than we've not known each other. We've. We love and fight like we're sister and brother. Something, 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 So that's, that would be the high school section and then the refrain and then the college thing that I told you about, which may or may not have gotten recorded. And then the, you know, Ellen Cherry is a grown up and Josh is a grown up doing a sorted table. And then that's kind of it. Anyway, it's work in progress. It's Christmas time. So this was as much, I haven't had it. I haven't made enough time to um, complete the song. I'm really stoked about singing and playing again because I haven't done it in, this, in such a long time. But anyway, those are the those are the chunks. Um, sorry, that's all. That's all you get today. Don't, apl- don't apologize. Oh. Okay, cool. We're gonna cut it and move the mic back. Right? Cool. I am looking at pictures of you and me Memories turn like a lock and key And nothing in this world is guaranteed So I'm looking at pictures of you and me I found your smile in the bottom of a box Mind spinning free from a midnight talk Time today for a long slow walk 
as I found my smile in the bottom of a box All these thoughts from a photograph What can I do but laugh Across the years, such a great expanse <laughs> Wrong chord A simple step in a complicated dance I know, I know it's happenstance Just a lucky draw in a game of chance all the time that I run and hide I know you're on my side shows a different face a different time and a different place what a gift to be this age and to let our story turn the page times that I run and hide I know you're on my side Found your smile in the bottom of a box It's time today for a long slow walk There's time today for a long slow walk Time today for a long slow Very repetitive, but <laughs> thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. You have no idea how I was just like. And I was just like, I can't copy those chords. <laughs> but I don't, I, I can't, I can't think of any. And this was much later. Again, in the 80s, there weren't any. And that's what really bummed me out. Yeah, so um, to because we jumped sort of in the middle of that, um, we are talking about the presence of the Asian um, population in pop culture and how it's changed so much and how encouraging that is for young people to see a much more diverse representation of actual people. 
um, and populations, especially in American culture, that it's not just white people um, and that Asian people, Pacific Islander um, people are having exposure right. in pop culture, in acting, in music. And, and I, don't know if it's a f- I don't know if it's even fair for them to be equally represented or represented more because, and this is something that Lawrence and I get into an argument about all the time. I mean, so we're talking about our our high school friend, because just to clue people in, um, there were four of us, um, Josh, Lawrence, Tim, and me in high school that hung out pretty heavily together. So we've all been friends for almost three decades and watched each other achieve a bunch of cool stuff and encourage each other. But that's who Lawrence is. Lawrence is our, Another great musician. Globe-trotting lawyer, musician, friend who now teaches high school and is an amazing person, yeah. He's going to be doing a musical, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good. Anyway, so you and Lawrence. So we get into this argument about how Asians aren't represented enough in in entertainment, in movies, TV shows, music, whatever. And Lawrence's but, ethnic background is, China, is Chinese. Yeah, he's, he's, he's Chinese Taiwanese-American. American. Yeah. And he's also uh, first-born... Uh, of his family, yeah, in Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas. He was born in Lawrence, Kansas? I think so. Interesting. I don't know, possibly. (laughs) Maybe that's where his parents met. I'm not sure. But anyway, so all Asians, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, Filipinos, Hmong, uh, you know, even uh, Indians, Pakistanis, we don't even make up 7% of the United States of America. Together. So it's just like if we're such a small minority... In, in this country, I mean, how, how much could we be represented in, you know, in music and movies? And I mean, like, it's, I don't know if that's even fair, you know, but I think the real, that we one should. Of, one of the reasons from a historical aspect that it's encouraging is that there, America should be continuing to, to participate on a global scale. And those populations in the rest of the world are quite prevalent and large mm-hmm. and right. influential. And so for us to exclude children from being exposed to, looking at, you know, differences in faces and diversity of perspective is just like, that's the the exciting thing that's happening now is that like, even if they are a minority in the actual population, they're still, we're encouraging more of a global awareness of other populations that right. I appreciate. So no, I, I, I very much dig it. I'm, I'm glad that um, even though, you know, you can, there's, there's pros and cons to the whole, you know, internet, the uh, what you're able to see on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. In, in addition to what we grew up with, which was basically four channels on TV yeah. and whatever, three or four radio stations that may or may not have come in depending on, you know, mm-hmm. where you are. Yeah. You know. So I want to talk about your song. You talked about your song a lot while you were playing, uh, which was amazing. So I feel like you explained it and it's, I, I appreciate how much you appreciated the challenge of it. Like, when we, when Andrew and I first discussed the idea of being here and recording the podcast with you, partially it was motivated because of the amazing support that you have given me over the years. You mentioned this, like, this was part of the song, like being friends with Ellen Cherry from childhood through young adulthood into more mature adulthood. Now we're not old, (laughs) but grown ups as you refer to it. But that idea of like, um, change and transition. And I think I miscalculated, not miscalculated, uh, mischaracterized our friendship and sort of glossed over it in the beginning when I introduced it as like effortless. And I appreciated that you talked a little bit before you started playing about 
your recollection of our friendship is actually that it has it had tumultuous years. Um, it had years in which we argued. It had not years in which we argued, but we had arguments over the years. And it's two people figuring out who they are, but also two people with deep respect and love for each other. That despite disagreements fundamental disagreements sometimes that have remained over the years, we still appreciate love and have a deep friendship and that that's a possibility to be completely individualistic, to be disagreeing and still have deep love and affection for your friend is like a wonderful message I think to tell people because it is possible. And also I think it's necessary because what that does is that means that I'm not stuck in some idea Um, I'm not rigid. I become flexible because of our friendship because I start to think about things from your perspective because you so vociferously argue your perspective and I would do the same. We both have strong personalities. And so to characterize our friendship as effortless, I think um, undermines its strength and value to both of us because Mm -hmm. it was actually worth fighting for to be like, that person is annoying the hell out of me right now, but I still love them and I still want to have this friendship exist. And it's been amazing. So I appreciate you bringing that up. There was never a time in 27 years where I thought this was not worth it. Yeah. Um, I think it's really easy in any relationship that's going well at the time to really revisionist history, to, to romanticize all of it that was before now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's just like, oh, so effortless. It's like bullshit. This was like... <laughs> There was some really tough times between us. Yeah. There was some really tough times. And um, and I'm not afraid of tough times in the future. Yeah. And I don't think you are either. Yeah. And we are definitely, we, we come from this, you know, we have a mutual admiration for each other. So I, I think I'm not, I'm not worried about, you know, us growing old together. Yeah. And I think that your song is a wonderful beginning and I'm excited to hear like maybe we can come back um, at some point when we're touring through again and make another little mini recording of it when it's a little bit more complete when you... I'm yeah, glad I'd love you, it. Yeah. Um, I hope that's after the holiday season. It'll be after the holiday season. <laughs> I'm in retail. Yes. So... Um, yeah, uh, like a Black Friday or something. <laughs> How about don't do that? Right. (laughs) Please. Perfect. I beg. So um, my song was a little bit um, more uh, nebulous about the idea of a person finding a photograph and thinking about three decades of friendship. And so I pulled out these photographs of Josh and me playing music together back in in college. And there's a picture of Josh at the microphone and me at the cello. And I'll post this as part of the podcast. But there's a lot of pictures of us from high school and post high school. And it's funny because I don't want to be romanticizing the past. When I look at these pictures, yes, we're having fun together. And we generally, we don't take pictures of ourselves when we're in disagreement, you know, but Mm -hmm. it exists in there and that's what Oh, maybe we should. Oh oh my gosh. That'd be the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh, remember this picture when we were about to like punch each other out? (laughs) There's never any violence. Is there? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think we're going to get ready for Andrew Grimm's song and his response to this topic. Oh, boy. You ready? No. You want to give it a roll? Yeah. You want to rehearse a little bit beforehand? Uh-huh. Okay, we're going to take a break and let Andrew yes. uh, run through his song real fast, and then we'll we'll flip the mics back on and, and record it. Okay. <laughs> I have the power of doing that. I'm the engineer. I know so you're I can... right. Yeah. <laughs> start with that one. Yeah, I'll start with that. Great. <laughs> 
never been so clear Never is too much It hardly seems a year And you I look really bad <laughs> okay speak for, your, speak speak for yourself. yourself yeah well thank you I, I appreciate that um i was listening to to both of your songs and i was thinking about it and um this was a, a tough challenge because I'm, I'm not a songwriter on demand in certain topics like if you said write an amorphous song about love and loss i'm your man like i can make that shit up pretty quick but um this was like when i you know the, the topic of friendship and looking at the length of time of friendship or closeness of friendships. And then also in the context of Ellen Cherry, it's like, I was like, oh boy, this is really specific. <laughs> and trying to figure out like the, the relative distance of friendship. Um, and, and the nature of your friendship is different than the nature of my friendship with her and trying to measure those things out. And, and sometimes I forget like, well, you know, I have license to do whatever I want. I can, I can take this idea. And I was, I was thinking about your, your friendship and like, the pictures that you guys have taken and, and like you're looking at them, you're reminiscing and, and you're sharing this moment. And it really made me think about um, the friends I had growing up that I had my musical connection with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, uh, Neil Gentry, Jeff Forbes, uh, Jason Kalendag, uh, Jeff Leiniger, who is down in Florida. We're going to see him in a couple of weeks, which is pretty cool. Or later this week. Yeah. We're probably going to see him. 
um, but people who introduced me to music, but people I played music with. And there's a real, you know, that, that idea of lightning striking or just being really lucky. Like, I can't even begin to tell, like, tell, to even believe myself how incredibly fortunate I have been in my life to make the friends that I have made and use, uh, like, you know, introduce me to Tom Waits or Elvis Costello or, you know, all that music and then also how to play it. And then, you know, I, I'm not really sure if those guys are really playing much music these days, but, but for me, it set me on this path of like, well, me too. Like I can make music. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was, I was thinking about those things and I was thinking about childhood and childhood friendships and, uh, this is a line that, like, and so yeah, I think we should all come back and revisit. <laughs> so yeah, you know, we love could. It. I would we, totally love it. We could take some time to 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 work on our songs a little bit because I I came up with this line while I was listening to you guys, and um, I jotted it down really quick. But it's like uh, you know this idea of childhood games or stuff like that, and it's like two people are playing playing together. It was I I was playing make believe and you were playing hide and seek, hmm. and uh, that's a nice image. Well, <laughs> there's also a stinger line because then, then cause, I mean, depending on what it is, but my, my idea is like, you know, I, I became a ghost or no, I'm sorry, I became my father and you became a ghost. Hmm. And now I search for you coast to coast hmm. is the idea of what I'm, I'm thinking. I don't know, but it just kind of came up and I was like, you know, two people who are still connected some way or still chasing each other in some way. I don't know. Well, so. and it's different now, too, because, like, you think about how connected we are through social media. You think, well, just look that person up and see how they're doing. But that's not an actual authentic connection to your old friend. That no, it's voyeurism. You know, like, that's, or even just contacting them that, in that way, to me, is, like, can be wonderful in some ways, but also, like, in other ways, a little bit false. Yeah. If, if it's a person who was that, and, like, we're talking about, all three of us are talking about people who are influential at a time when you are in deep absorption. Like, late you know, teenagehood, basically, when you're just like, give me all of the information. And then the three of us in this room have not lost that spirit as we've aged, which I think is because of our friendships, like we, because of the people that we are, but also because we have bothered to, to think of friendship as something that should be cultivated and long-term and that you discover more right. when you have these long-term friendships because they're shared memory too. Yeah. I mean, I have plenty of false memories about the way things are going or the way things went. And then people will say, well, no, this is actually what happened. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I was trying to make it either make myself look better or make all of us look better or make myself feel better about the way things went down or, mm -hmm. and that's a wonderful thing about having long-term friends that are not your parents. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my parents are my friends too, but well, like, you know what I mean? Like they have a different, totally different perspective. And your, your friends, I think your friends, there's a, a I don't, this is going to be a trite saying, but they, they, there's an, they keep you honest. Yeah. And one of the things that I've observed... Like an honest witness. Right. And, and, <laughs> and between you and Josh, just, to, I mean, the, uh, I've only met Josh a, a few times, but the, the way that Josh talks to you is a way that I've never seen any of your other friends talk to you. <laughs> and there's a certain um, blunt force trauma reality to his, how he talks. I mean, it's not like, you know, in, in your face type of thing, but it's like, oh, come on, you know, you know come on, Ellen Cherry, you know, you know, that's not good for you or whatever. And like, he's a very honest voice that... Plus, we're also like in this ongoing conversation where you can jump into the conversation at any point and, and um, there's no like, well, wait, there, we don't have to have the niceties of like, hello, how are you? <laughs> like yeah. all the stuff. There's no catch up point because we're already caught up and it's just like, just dive in. 
And the difference too is that when you work with your friends, because you mentioned this, and I don't remember, if, I don't know if it's going to be part of the recording because we're starting to reach the end of our um, time here. We're getting. Yes. Someone's going to have to do a lot of editing. Are we at an hour 53? No, it's just 53 okay, minutes. Okay, 53 minutes. I was yeah. looking at that and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, that <laughs> we, so Josh thought, you know, probably a decade ago when he began, when did you start selling wine? Was it, no, we just the fifth year. Um, this, is, this is a, the store is six years old. But you selling wine is how old? 20 years in Charlotte. Yeah. Okay. So you developed this expertise as a sommelier and understanding, um, and loving and having a passion for wine in the same way that you had passion for music and the same way you have a passion for, um, the whimsy. Anyway, your (laughs) your expertise, (laughs) um, you said this, that you thought, I love my friend and I want her, she's in a hard business as well, the arts. And I want to figure out the way that I can support her. That is, um, you know, authentic and also, brings focus to, to the artistry of what you're doing. And so we've combined our work into these evenings of, of sensuous ideas, mm-hmm. food, wine, and music. And this is wholly your idea. And we developed it over time. I mean, it took a long time for us to sort of like figure out what it was really going to look like. And that's just two people like figuring out with a chef um, and different chefs. But you and I have been the common elements of, of these experiences that we um, provide for the city of Charlotte once pretty much once a year now. And, um, in fact, we have one coming up March 20th at mm-hmm. the top of the Wells Fargo building, which will feature wines from the assorted table wine shop, music from me. And Andrew will also be playing music that night and delicious food from chef Mike Bader, who's the executive chef at the Wells Far- Fargo dining room, executive right. dining, yep. executive dining. Um, he's their chef. And we did one last spring and it was beautiful and wonderful. We're duplicating it, but, the idea that two friends and independent businesses can figure out ways to support each other that excite both of us, you Mm -hmm. know, that's an exciting prospect to do those things together and the collaborative effort, but there's guys coming over today. I don't know. We'll have to figure out. Well, I hope you come over today because you'll be stoked with the promotional material for this gig and also the one for tomorrow. Nice. Awesome. But, um, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. I, I kind of got a book, but I did yeah. want to tell you one thing about this whole theme of, you know, long-term friendships is um, I definitely, I don't, the more I think about effortlessness, maybe that is true of some relationships. I know it's not true of ours. And I think that effort is necessary in in, in maintaining relationships, some sort of effort, mm-hmm. you know, m- mental effort, actual like physical, you know, effort, you know, emotional effort that, that, um, that work, some form of work has got to be used in order to maintain that relationship. And the more I think of like, Oh, I'm not going to this, you know, class reunion. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. And, you know, my parents, you know, were born in the mid forties and, you know, uh, they continue to, um, have reunions with their classmates from high school and college. And then there's fewer and fewer of them Mm -hmm. as they get older, there's going to be fewer, fewer still. So again, for me, this is like, you know, there's a, there's a pragmatist, you know, there's a math side of this. It's just like, you know, maintain if, if you find, you know, once you've put in that effort that there is value in, um, the relationship with the other person, then work to maintain that. Yeah. You know, because I think it will, I'm guessing that when we are hopefully in our 70s, 80s, 90s together, 
that that effort, that work will have paid off. Yeah, for all the reasons we talked about today. Yeah. The fact that it's like a rich, beautiful friendship. So thank you for 27 years of friendship so thank far. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for participating in this because I know that it was probably a little bit scary challenge. Yeah. And like, I'm excited because it... I think you're an amazing musician and writer and you are part of my origin story for this as well. So um, to have you as an, on this project that we're doing is an honor and a privilege for me. So I loved it. I love you. I love you. All right. Josh Thanks, has Andrew. to get thank to work. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So we're going to say goodbye. Great yes. song. Oh, thank really you. Really great song. Yeah. Oh, great. Great song. Right back to you. Um, is there a, uh, is there a website for your business? Yes. Oh, we're at uh, assortedtablewine.com. Mm-hmm. So we're called Assorted Table Wine Shop. And you can find us also, you can also find them on Instagram and Facebook. And you can find them at the 7th Street Market in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is the place where you should get all of your wine. And they even ship. Well. Okay. Just come by and say hi to Josh. There you go. <laughs> yes. I'm at ellencherry.com. And you can subscribe to me at ellencherry.bandcamp.com for $4 a month. You get two essays about the car wreck or poems or songs or whatever I feel like writing. And then you, where can we find your stuff? Ooh, junestar.bandcamp.com. And you can subscribe. Lots of material there. And the newly reformatted junestar.com uh, has actually updated stuff on it. And and I have to say, thanks to my good friend Alan Cherry for spearheading that, that effort of making that happen. Because I don't know what I'm doing. It's Whee! okay. It looks pretty. So, yeah, it looks really good. A lot thanks. of pictures of you on it, though. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. We'll right. see you next time. Bye. Bye.